Father God, um, God, I love those songs that we just sang. And God, I love the fact that um, you're a God of love. And God, you're, uh, you have so many attributes and characteristics, but God, truly, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. God, there's people that have run out on us before. Um, there's friends. There's maybe parents. There's all kinds of relationships. People have let us down. Um, God, we're so thankful that you're constant, that your love never changes. You're always with us. God, I was just thinking today how much attention. Um, God, there are so many things vying for the attention of myself and these high school students. Um, God, I pray that tonight when we gather here um, as a body, um, as the body of Christ, God, we want to we um, kind of push away all the other clutter and all the other stuff in our life and create margin, create some space for you. And so, God, we pray that you would show up tonight, um, that you'd speak to us through your word, and that, um, and that we'd worship you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, we're starting a brand new series tonight um, called The Unity and Community, a four-part series. And uh, so that'll take us through all the way through January. Um, so I want to start tonight with a question. Have you ever felt like, even in a group this size, that you're all alone? That you're all alone? Have you ever felt like... In a very, very large group, like sitting here at Oasis or maybe in your large classroom at school because you go to a big high school because you live in Omaha, Nebraska, you're, you're in this whole huge crowd, but you feel all alone. Um, like no one really knows the real you. Like, like you would so long to have at least one friend, somebody that maybe knows every, everything about you, your wildest dreams, your darkest secrets, your, your wants, your desires, everything Nowhere does that friend exist for you. And even, um, it can be tricky. Here's where it gets tricky is so many of you have a whole lot of friends. You go to school and you have a whole lot of friends. You come to Oasis and you have a whole lot of friends. But if you're honest, like if you asked a friend, they would say, you have a ton of friends. And you would say, yeah, but you know what? If I'm honest, they're not really friends. They're not true friends. They don't know much about me at all. In fact, they're maybe more like acquaintances. I don't even know if that's the right word. I call them friends. We certainly call them friends on Facebook. On Facebook, anybody's a friend. But if I'm honest, they're really not friends. We, I heard a joke from him once. We regularly sit together at the, at the cafeteria lunch table. But friends, and in fact, in, in our culture today, I feel like true friendship, where you really do know maybe the deepest desires of somebody else, it's, it's kind of rare. So you can have all these friends. You can go to school. I imagine, I imagine a lot of you could attest to this. Like, oh yeah, I know him. But that's about all it is. I call him a friend, but he's more like an acquaintance. Even here at church, maybe you experience this in your own small group. Maybe not. But maybe. And you know, you know that your life group isn't perfect. You know that it's flawed. It's made up of human beings. So any group is going to have its flaws. And you do like it. You maybe you've been with your leader now. This is your second year with your, your small group leader, your third year, your fourth year. You've been with the same group of three or four girls or guys for the past two years. And so you know each other, kind of. But again, sometimes you long to go deep or deeper in your discussion on a Wednesday night, and it just doesn't happen. And there's a million reasons why. Maybe you know what they are. You know what it is for some of us? I'm just going to be honest. Your group's too big. Group that I a lot of times lead, it's got like it's got at least ten people in it. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Like you, even if you've been with them for two years, you're not going to open up. There's ten other students in your group. I'm not going to share everything. I don't know that there's that one girl and she goes to my school and I, I don't trust her. 
so I'm not going to say anything. Maybe your group's too small. Maybe here's the nature of some of our groups, just at Oasis. Maybe it's just, you come one week, ten people. You come back the next week, there's two others. Like, oh, so that's suddenly weird. You could actually go deep with two others, but you just feel awkward. Like, where's the rest of the group? Why are all my friends not here? This is weird. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit here. There's three of you. Or, almost all your groups have two leaders, right? But there's one leader that usually leads the discussion, and they kind of talk more, and sometimes they're not here. That changes things, doesn't it? The other leader, they're just, it's just different. Or, that one student, and everybody has in their group one guy or one girl, and they are always here, and they talk all the time, don't they? In fact, you never get stuff done because so-and-so just doesn't close their mouth. Now, maybe I'm, you know, hopefully it's not that bad. But even here, I'm saying you can feel this. You can long to go, like, I just, is there true community out there anywhere? I come to Oasis. I go to my friends at school longing to be known, to be trusted, to be loved. I just want to fit in somewhere. But I can't find that place. Does true community belong? Can I find it anywhere? I mean, has this... Has this topic, has this issue crossed your mind before? Have you ever thought this? Um, about three or four months ago, I was with one of you. I was with an Oasis student, and we were hanging out outside of Oasis. And uh, I remember this guy said to me, like, you know, Brad, I, I, I sometimes feel like I need to change kind of friend groups, but somewhat, I just want to find a friend group. Sometimes I sit there, and I want a friend to come over and just grab me and take me over to his friend group, but that rarely ever happens. And he goes, you know, at the times where I have been, where I, I have found a friend group, it's, it really hasn't even been as good as I thought it might be. It's really not all that satisfying. But he goes, as we were kind of finishing the conversation, he said, I know the names of virtually every person in my school that I see on a daily basis. And he went to, he goes to a big school here in West Omaha. I know the names of almost everybody. I'm just, I just pick up on them like that. I guarantee you almost none of them know my name. And so you're in this crowd, you're all searching. We, and it's not just here at church. Like I said, you have these different friend groups because most of you are involved in some kind of extra thing. You play electric guitar, and so you're maybe in band. Maybe you just kind of have this friend group at, uh, I don't know, the Millard Music Hall or wherever you get uh, in di- lessons. Directions? Get where, where you get lessons. Maybe you're in show choir. You're in, you're in regular choir. You're in band. You have your friend group because you play football And so you hang out with the football crowd, you hang out with the swimming crowd, you hang out with the volleyball crowd. But even there, you actually have something that unites you. We love football. We are all about football. But even there, you ride that bus, you go to those games, you sit by someone and play football, but you, they still don't know you. And you maybe sometimes wonder, where can I, does anybody even notice that I'm here? Does anybody care? Um, for me personally, I certainly couldn't find this when I was growing up in middle school and high school. And uh, I was a really quiet kid, so I know that didn't help things. For some of you, it doesn't help things, does it? I was like super shy. Never wanted to talk to anybody. Um, totally was like an introvert and just like, man, I just, I'm scared to death to like open up to anybody. The place where I found the most community, where I felt like I could be myself, was at my church youth group. Now, you come to Oasis... There's maybe, uh, there's at least 100 people, there's maybe 130, 140 people here in a given night. My church youth group growing up, on a good night, there's eight of us. Eight. And that was awesome. It was like, we were lucky to have four, but a good night, it was eight. 
But seriously, we do this lesson. It was all at someone's house. Never had a youth pastor. Just a couple adult couples. But we would stay up late after the lesson these, these Sunday nights and have these deep spiritual conversations. Just talk about life and talk about how the Bible intersects with life and what's life all about and what do you want to do with your life and who are you becoming? And it was awesome. And we moved. That's great. We moved to Kansas. Anybody who's ever moved in here, you know, like, oh, that's just wonderful right in the middle of high school. So uh, moved two states to the left to Kansas. And uh, uh, so then you're the new kid. Again, feelings of like isolation, loneliness. I'm the new kid. It had, it, it had its good and its bads. In a school of 100 kids, there was never a new kid. And so on the one hand, everybody was like, come to my friend group. Come to my friend group. Seriously, I got, um, come hang out with us. We're going to smoke some weed. I got that. Are you going to come to the party this weekend? We're the partiers. Hey, come to the party. Everyone's had to try to feel out who, who's Brad Zook like. What's he going to do? Hey, come to the football team. Hey, come play in band. Band is the best. You should be with us. Um, which you guys, some of you maybe drifted from some of those groups in your life. You're longing, and you go from group to group. So that was the good side. The bad side, I was, just, I was an outsider. I didn't grow up there. All these, all these students grew up together. I was an outsider. Now, here's the thing. Most of you, you've never moved your entire life, most of you, and yet you go to your school day in and day out, and maybe you feel like an outsider. No one knows the real me. If I spoke up about some of the things I believe, I'd get made fun of probably. Where can I find like true community? Where can I really be myself? Where can I fit in? We all have this unquenchable desire to belong and to fit in and to be loved and accepted. We all thirst for community, and we need it. Now, maybe you're thinking, that's great, Brad. Okay, that's awesome. But we're, we're at church, and we're going to talk about the Bible. So what does this have to do with the Bible? And, and where, oh, where does this issue, does this topic get addressed in Scripture? Well, let me tell you. Um, at one point, Peter... Peter, the Apostle Peter, who's one of the 12 disciples, Peter, you know, he, he walked on water, this Peter. He's pretty, he's pretty famous, maybe one of the fam- most famous disciples. Um, way down the road, this is in the year 60 A.D., so Jesus has um, been risen from the grave, he's ascended back into heaven, and this is like 30 years later. Peter, is maybe in his 50s now, decides to write a letter and uh, he writes a letter to a number of different Christians um, who, I'm almost positive, are facing at least somewhat of the same issue we just talked about. And we at least get a glimpse of that. So check this out. Grab your Bibles. I want you to open up to the letter, the epistle of 1 Peter. It's toward the back of your Bible. But if you have a Bible, do this. Grab a Bible. Grab your app. A lot of you got, got your new smartphone for Christmas. The Bible app on there. I'm not making fun of smartphones. That's, that's cool. That's awesome. But pull out your app. Turn to the book of 1 Peter. So this, we call it the book in, this, in, in the Bible, but we've been over this. This is a letter. This is a letter. And a lot of the New Testament is letters written by individuals. And it's in our New Testament. And so even just notice this. 1 Peter, um, very first verse. He writes this. It'll be on the screens too. Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ. He's just saying, hey, I'm the one who's writing here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To, who's the letter to? To God's elect, which just means Christians, believers. God's elect. Who are what? Who are strangers 
in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Paul's writing, and he, it says he's writing to the, these folks that are strangers. Strangers to almost every, everyone else where they're at in these cities, in these areas scattered throughout Asia, maybe Europe. I don't know where they're all at. And they can relate to this, I think. They are probably longing for community. I, that's not in the Bible. I'm just guessing. But they're strangers in the world, and they're scattered throughout all these different areas. And Peter says, I'm going to write these Christians a letter. What is he going to tell them? They are longing for this sense of true community. Probably maybe they're going to try to start churches in those areas. I don't know what they're doing. But what is the foundation? What is the foundation for finding unity and community when you're in a situation like this? When you feel like a loner, when no one really knows the true you, when you want to open up to people, but you don't know that it's safe to. What's Peter going to tell them? Here's what Peter writes. So check this out. We're going to be in that whole first section, so I'm skipping a couple verses, but we're going to look at 1 Peter, um, starting at verse 3 through, through 12. So Peter writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. He's excited here. He's writing this letter, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Peter? Why are you so excited? Why? Because in his great mercy, he, that is God, has given us new birth. Think about having a new birth. Okay, think about when your mom gave birth to you. Okay, don't think about that, right? Because that's kind of gross. But that's kind of weird, right? I mean, new birth. The first time Nicodemus hears this, it's in John 3. He's having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, whoa, 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 what? What? Am I supposed, I think he actually says, right? Am I supposed to enter into my mother somehow again and be born Jesus, that's weird. What are you talking about? He's given us new birth. What does that mean? He's given you new life. That's all birth is. He's given you a brand new life. How? Where? Where's that found? New birth into a living hope. Not some like scratching the surface, uh, shallow hope, maybe, what if, someday I have hope that. No, a living hope. How, How do we know that it's a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That there was a man that once lived that died. And then he came back to life and he never died again. He was also God. He was a man and God. He was the God man. His name was Jesus. But he conquers death and he offers that victory to us and says, if, you, if you're a believer, if you're a true Christian, a living hope, and I'm the, I'm the first fruits of that, um, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and what into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And in an eternal inheritance. That's a good thing. That's a great gift. If I was you, I would want that. I personally want that. How is it an eternal inheritance? Well, it's kept in heaven. That's a good place. That's going uh, to last for eternity. Kept in heaven for you. Um, how, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. So salvation has really already been offered to us somewhat because of the first coming of Christ. But at the second coming, it'll fully be revealed. That's what he's talking about. So verse 6, in this, he says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You don't have to raise your hand, but who here right now is facing grief 
and all kinds of trials. Grief or a trial. Maybe one trial. Maybe a tiny little itty-bitty trial. But you're kind, of, you're kind of bummed about that, if you're honest. We've all got that, right? Grief, trials. It's kind of going along with what we just talked about. Um, you ever want to know, like, why do bad things happen to good people? You know what, God? Sometimes I want to know, why do I have grief and trials? Oh, verse 7. Here's the answer. This is awesome. Read your Bibles. You guys should read your Bibles. This is great. These have come. Oh, I've been wanting to know this. Why, why do I have grief and, and, and trials? Well, these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. I skipped a sentence there. I'm going to come back to it. Why do you have grief and trials? So that your faith may be proved genuine. That's what the text says. You know it's really easy to have faith when things are good, isn't it? It's really easy to trust God when things are good. Life's good. Everything's great. Oh, God, you're awesome. I love you. I'm going to worship you. Things are great. You know when you're ready to chuck your faith? It's when you have grief and trials, isn't it? And you're like, God, this isn't how it's supposed to work. God, I thought you were going to make everything easy for me. God, my dad, that was not supposed to happen. My grandma wasn't supposed to die. My parents weren't supposed to get divorced. Grief. I am feeling grief. And it's not easy. And God knows it's not easy. But he says, I want your, your faith to be proved genuine. That you, Through it all, you say, you know what, God, I don't understand this at all, but I trust you. I'm going to keep my faith. I'm not going to chuck it because you're the God who made all things. And someday, someday, I'm maybe going to understand this when I get to heaven. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, gold which perishes, even though it's refined by fire, it perishes. So your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Again, he's writing this to Christians. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's not the story some of us are writing right now, is it? Some of us, we would say, because I have not seen you, I don't really care about you, nor do I like you. But these Christians, they're staying with it. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? God can't give you a hug. I wish I had someone that could. We, we think that some way. And even though you do not see him, Peter writes, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. That's awesome. He's saying, you know what? Life with God gives you joy. The salvation through Jesus Christ gives you an inexpressible joy. Some of us have maybe tasted it, but probably not to the fullest extent. He says, for you're receiving the goal of your salvation. I'm sorry, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know what the goal of faith is? You being saved. Saved from what? From hell, from separation from God, from an eternity without the living God. I'm going to keep going real quick. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, where are the prophets found? Old Testament, New Testament? Old Testament, Old Testament, yes, good. The prophets, Old Testament, before Jesus, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It's a long sentence right there, right? He's saying the prophets before Christ, they were longing to figure out when is Christ going to come? What is he going to suffer? They're trying to find out the time and circumstances, it says. All these guys, all these prophets, these guys that received this message from God and they communicated it to the people, it says it was revealed to them, again, to the prophets, 
that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What's Peter saying here? He's saying even the prophets, they declared the gospel. They knew it was coming. They didn't know when. They didn't know the time or the circumstances, but they knew a Messiah was coming, and that was the solution to what every single person needed. And it's called the gospel. And look at that very last sentence. Even angels. This is awesome. One of my favorite pastors, like, I just discovered this, this sentence. Even angels long to, look into these, long to look into these things. What do they long to look at? The gospel. That's what it's talking about there. Even angels long to look at the gospel. So here's Peter. He's done life with Jesus. He cut off the dude's ear in the garden right before Jesus is is arrested. And then he denies him three times. And he walks on water with Jesus. And he's been through all this stuff. And here it is, like 30 years later. It's the year 60. He's in the first century. We're in the 21st century. And he's writing to Christians saying, look, you're scattered all around. You're longing for something. And he's saying, here's the foundation. Here's the foundation for what you need to belong. Here's the foundation for you when it comes to living together with other people. Here's the foundation for you to find a true community. You've you've received salvation from the God who made everything. You've received a gift. You've received what he calls the gospel. Good news that would save everyone from death. You think life stinks or it's hard? What about if you're dead? That'd be really awful, right? I mean, life is hard. But what about eternity? What about eternity without God? And he says, this gospel is really, really good news. That was kind of the whole point, right, on that one Christmas talk you heard. I guess we heard two of them. It's really, really good. Even the angels long to look at the gospel. But real quick, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? We, we say that word a lot. Almost every one of you in here have heard the word, and you know it means good news because we say that all the time at Oasis. It's good news. But what specifically is it? Pull out your, uh, your note cards. People take, do you take a note card? Um, pull those out, and uh, I'm going to ask a couple of leaders in the back. I think I, I primed some of you, Ben. And will you guys in the back, Brian, James, you stand up. There's like a stack of green handouts. So students, you're going to get a handout. Oh, Mike's already on it somewhat. And uh, I'm going to talk for a little bit as those are going out. Um, I'm not going to talk through this whole sheet of paper, but uh, I want everyone to get one. Hopefully we have enough. But pull out your outline as well. That first, uh, first couple of blanks there. Here's the thing. The gospel is the foundation of Christian community. The gospel is the foundation for Christian community. You need to know that. Foundation means, you all know this, just like in a house, you don't build a house until you've poured a concrete foundation that is sturdy and will not move and and supports the whole rest of the house, right? You need a foundation. A lot of us, we come to Oasis because we like it, and it feels good to me, and my friends are there, and and it's fun, and it's kind of entertaining, but it's all kind of about us, 
But the foundation of true community is when you start looking to others and start caring about others. So that's the first one. The gospel is the foundation of Christian community. Secondly, the second blanks, in order to have true community, we have to know and live out the gospel. In order to have true community, we have to know and live out the gospel. Not just know it. We're pretty good at knowing it. Living it out is much, much harder for me. And it really takes both. But again, many of us aren't clear about what the gospel is, and so that's what the handout is for. Now, real quick, one more thing. The Apostle Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, you all are familiar with Paul, probably, right at the beginning of his letter to the Christians in Rome, he writes this. This is a, this is a great verse. This is a super well-known verse. If anybody... Anybody who's a fan of Lecrae and the 116 click? This is, what, this is where 116 comes from, I believe. Romans 116. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's really, really good to know the gospel. But thank goodness Paul did not just stick with that. Because he says, bro, you can't be ashamed of it. Are you ashamed of the gospel right now? Do you ever live it out? He's saying, if you're, if you're not living it out, maybe you're ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, you don't just know the gospel. You need to live it out. So look at your handout. I don't have a lot of time. At some point, here's how the top starts. And you can read, so you already read this. What is the good news that Jesus offers us to everyone? Is there bad news? What does God desire for His creation? And what must we do to enjoy His gracious gifts? I'm going to skip over those six things, but at some point, you're probably doing it right now, you need to read those six things. I don't know that it can get much clearer. I know to a lot of you, you're familiar with this. But you need to start by understanding what our purpose is and our current condition. But for time's sake, skip down to the bottom third of the page, where it says, so what specifically is the good news for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. They put their trust in Jesus Christ. I just, this isn't an exhaustive list probably, but look at these with me. Number one, primarily, the good news is that God has made a way for us to know Him intimately, to have a relationship with Him, and to not receive His wrath for our sins. How? Through the sacrifice of His Son in our place. That Jesus takes our death penalty for us. He took it on himself so we don't have to pay it, which is number five above, basically. But we get him. Don't misunderstand right after that. We get him. This is the best news, even better than the blessings that are a result, that are a result of this. Know that fundamentally, the God is the gospel. There's a speaker here on Sunday that, that highlighted a book called that. But the good news primarily is that we get God. That we can, we can be reunited, we can have reconciliation and have a relationship with the God that is bigger than we could fathom, that created all things. That is awesome. Now, secondly, and there's a couple more that I'm probably missing, but number two, God loves you. That's really good news. Maybe you need to tell yourself that every morning when you get up. Get up. God loves you so much. He'll never leave you. He's always with you. Say those two verses. Be nothing you can ever do will take away God's love for you. 
And number three, this is also a great, I mean, this is specific good news for those of us that are truly Christians, that we've put our our trust in Jesus Christ. God has made you into a brand new person, which is what we call regeneration. In order for you to turn away from sin and trust in Christ for all that you need, which is what we call conversion, that He wants to be your treasure. So it says we should find the most happiness, the most enjoyment, the most satisfaction and praise and joy in God. And then share that love with others. It's really, it's, it's great for us to enjoy other things. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's really good. But then the container's empty. And I want more. At some point, like, there's no letdown with God ever. And I know, I can't even compare God with ice cream. That's like blasphemous. But it's not that you, like, have to hate everything else. Although, and ironically, that's a verse. Um, Jesus has to be supreme. I mean, understand, you need to find more satisfaction in Him. You guys, we every day start worshiping all this other stuff. Many of you are idolizing your new iPhone right now that you got for Christmas. You know how I know that? Because I did that a year ago. This thing's awesome. It's a fun. I mean, I seriously was like, I got to get rid of this thing. It's an idol. Look real quick at the bottom. My mission from God as a result of the gospel. To spread a passion for God in all things, for the joy of all people. Secondly, here's what I need to do. Here's what you need to do. You need to trust who you already are in God's sight. That I already am a new creation in Christ. That I don't owe anything. That grace pays the bill. The gift has already been given to me and my job is to put it into use. That when God looks at you, if you're truly a Christian tonight, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the blood of Christ. He doesn't see your sin. It's, and that's not a tangible thing. It's a very abstract thing. But you've got to preach that to yourself when you feel like God's like punishing you for some stupid thing you did yesterday. It doesn't work like that. There's no retribution with Him. It's been paid for. And finally, to live in light of the kingdom of God that Jesus ushered in. So it's not just about us, but we renew culture through love and good deeds. It says especially through helping transform others. This is helpful. Tuck this, put this in your Bible when you get home and refer to it often. So even when you are in a large crowd and you feel all alone, Peter comes along and he says, like, maybe you're looking at things wrongly. Maybe you're, maybe you're like, just focusing on yourself way too much. Can you experience true community somewhere? Yes. Can you know someone or a group of people that fully know and love and accept you? Yes. You guys, in the Gospel, in the joy and the truth of salvation through God Almighty, you get the foundation of a really great community. You build the foundation for a really great community. You find love and acceptance there. And ideally, you guys, I long for the, play, the time when we can be a community where we live this out, where we're not strangers to each other, where we, we truly come to Oasis because we care about other people. And we're coming not just to talk about myself, I'm not coming just to talk about myself, but to hear about, to hear about the people in my group. So here's the thing. As we end tonight, I want you just to think about this. I don't know where this topic lands for a lot of you. I know that come January for a lot of people, January is one of the most... Um, 
I think it's one of the, the months where the most people are kind of depressed. All the holiday glitz and glamour is all over with, and you're putting stuff away. It's, it can be kind of a bummer time. If you're, if you're in this place tonight where you're like, you know, I, I'm feeling like I'm just, I feel like I'm all alone. No one cares about me. Here's the thing. Would you, I just, I, I, I would ask that you maybe share that in your group tonight. Just like, hey, this is where I'm at. I kind of feel that way. I know that's going to be bold for the reasons we already talked about tonight. you got ten people in your group, but do that if that's you. And then leaders, at some point in the night, maybe end the night, would you leaders maybe pray over, over the people in your group? And especially, in particular, those that maybe shared that. And then if that is you, I, I hope that you cry out to God tonight. I hope that even if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you think of a tangible a, a tangible application right now. How can you live out the gospel tomorrow? Who is it that you've been wanting to talk, to bring your faith up to, like to some friend, and you just haven't done it because you're afraid? What is the tangible thing you're going to do? But maybe just wherever you're at, sometime tonight, not here maybe, which when you crawl in your bed and you are falling asleep tonight, just cry out to God. Say, God, I want you. I know that you're real. I believe that you offer me salvation. And God, I want it. I want to feel that joy. God, something's robbed me of my joy and I want it back. God, will you help me? Help me to pray. Help me to trust you. Help me to talk to you more. And just cry out to him. All right? Hey, let's pray together. Father God, um, we're humans and we, uh, God, we, we long, we long to be known. We long to be loved. God, some of us, we think we're going to find that, and we, we somewhat, we, we get a glimpse of that and a really awesome spouse. God, marriage is such a beautiful picture of that intimacy between just two people, and God, it's a reflection of our relationship with you. God, we know that you can give us that. You give us the foundation for true community. And God, so often we, we have a selfish approach to almost everything in our lives. God, I pray that you'd break us of that. God, help us to see the cross. Help us to see your glory, your beauty, the joy, the praise that we should um, get from you and give to you. God, um, I, I, I confess tonight, God, that I, I stray from you so often and I, I so often worship other things. And God, that's, that's the cry of all of our hearts. So God, we come back to you tonight and we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for salvation We thank you that it's by grace that we don't have to earn it like other religions say you have to. God, you paid the bill for us, and we rejoice in that. So God, may you be made great tonight. We want to make much of you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.